We've been doing a year-long series through the Bible called Gospel Foundations. And we believe that we were made to know and enjoy God forever. That's why each of us was made. And so we get to know God through the Bible. Whatever language you speak, if you can read or maybe you can only just listen, this word, this Bible is about this God. And so we want to spend some time going through the Bible in a year, teaching on the major foundations of what God is telling us about himself and what he's telling us about us. For he created us. He is our creator. We are made for him. And when we choose to go our own ways, this rebellion, this high treason, we are rebelling, we are rebelling against our creator. And that's why we see all this brokenness around us in our own families, in our own minds, in our own communities when we look around. This is the effect of sin and has cursed all of us. And we're in the same boat. And so today we're going to be teaching from Psalm 78. Psalm 78. And I want us to get one central message out of this. That we are to remember and teach the faithfulness of God. We're to remember and teach the faithfulness of God. Because what do we want to pass on to the next generation? Do we think like that? Maybe some of you have children. Maybe some of you are single. Whatever it may be. What do we want to pass on to the next generation? There's many good things in our world that we want them to have. We want to pass on the best things, don't we? If you have kids, you want to, best, you want to pass on the best things in your life. Maybe it's the family business. Maybe it's your family honor, your family name. Maybe it's a horse. Maybe it's a house. What do we want to pass on to the next generation? This is a serious question. Because we will all come to a point. We will all come to a point where we will die. And our children will pick up the torch. What do we want to teach them? What is lasting? What is good? What is loving? What is forever? The Psalms teach us what we should pass on to the next generation. And if you're not familiar with the Bible and you're not familiar with the book of Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S, when I was growing up, there was this Christian, I don't know what it was, like a dance group, and there was a big blue book. And the big blue book would do these songs to help children memorize the Bible and to teach them about God. And on the side of this big blue book was P-S-A-L-T-Y. And so for the longest time, I called them Pasalti. English is weird. Why is there a silent P in front of this book's name? Anyways, I was actually in one of his music videos. My fame began at a very young age. Pasalti. The singing songbook was traveling through the Yukon, and they invited me because they were using my dad's building at the time. They pulled some strings so that I could be dancing with Pasalti, the singing songbook. It's not Pasalti, it's Salty, the singing songbook. 
So we're in not the Psalms, but the Psalms. And there are 150 chapters in this book. 150 chapters in the, in the Psalms. And, and there it's poetry, which is usually set to music. And the Psalms capture the many diverse experiences that we go through as humans. Joy, unending joy, sorrow, pain, suffering, rejoicing. It's like reading the diary of these people who had these lived experiences and we're entering into their journey and how they walked with God, how they interact in the community. And you're reading all these very raw emotions in the Psalms. And the Psalms, all 150 of them, they were the songbook for the nation of Israel. They were the songbook for the people of God, Israel. And through all their struggles and all their pain throughout the generations and through all their thrills, these were the songs that the people of Israel sang. These are the songs they sung in their home, at their workplace, when they were downtown, when they were meeting together, and especially in the temple where they would worship God. They would sing the psalms to praise the king and to tell of their experience. This is why we sing in church. Have you ever thought of that? Why do we sing? Why do we sing? Is it like karaoke? Is it like Christian karaoke? I've, I've often used this illustration. Before I was a Christian, I would go into churches, and they're singing. You know, karaoke has that ball over the words. Is this, what, is this what's happening? We're just singing? Is this just a concert? No. The Psalms are designed to sing praises to someone who is real, who exists, and it's, it's to express our gratitude to him. And so when we sing up here, it is a profound moment that we are gathering with Christians from all over the world, all throughout generations, and singing, essentially singing psalms to him in praise of his name. That's what we're doing. If you were to go to the temple during this time, during the time of Israel, and the time of the psalms, you can hear the singing in the temples. They would sing praises to God. There'd be songs of sadness. And there'd be songs just praying and pleading to God that he would help them. Israel was a nation that sang. Israel was a nation that sang. God's people sing. This is why we sing. This is why we sing. It's out of an overflow of abundant joy in your heart, declaring his name. So when we sing, let's sing, let's sing not only seriously, but let's sing joyfully. You ever do that? You're watching sports? And your team wins and you, and you can't do anything but maybe scream or sing? When something happens, we were made to sing. Israel was a singing nation. And so as we get into Psalm 78, as we get into Psalm 78, it is a historical uh, psalm. It is historical. It's telling Israel of its history. It's telling about Israel's history. It's telling us how God was patient with his people even when they disbelieved and they rebelled against him. This psalm should give us so much courage because when we look at our lives, haven't we rebelled against God? Haven't we gone our own ways? 
We haven't given him the energy and the praise that he deserves. And this is the story of God's people. This is the story of all of us. We fail time and time again. We don't measure up time and time again. And so this psalm was designed to be a history that would be shared with the next generation so that they would remember God, so that they would live for God, and so that they wouldn't be like their ancestors. They wouldn't be like ancient Israel. This generation does not want the next generation to be drowning in unbelief and in rebellion against the next generation. And so Psalm 78 is a long psalm. I'm not going to read all the verses, though I encourage you to read through the book of Psalms. At least read through chapter 78 on your own time. But here we are, chapter 78, and I'm going to read the first eight verses. And it's telling us the point of this psalm. Because back in the day, when you didn't have Google, and you didn't have hard copies of the Bible, the people of Israel, it was often the fact that if you just said the first two lines of the psalm, they weren't numbered like we have in the modern Bible. If they were to say the first two verses of that psalm, they would, they would recognize and remember, oh, what the psalm is about. So Psalm 78 is telling us what it's about in the first eight verses. It says this. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to, to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. About his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. There's a theme right in those first eight verses. I'm telling you about your history. You should know your history. You should know where you come from as the people of God. You should tell this to your children, and your children should tell it tell to their children and pass down this story of God to the next generation, so you will not become like your ancestors. Maybe you've said this about your own life. I'm never going to be like my dad. Or I'm never going to be like my mom. And then it kind of pops up once in a while. You are just like your mom. You are just like your dad. You're trying to fight against it. But we need to remember who we are. That's what the psalmist is saying. Remember, remember, remember. It runs throughout Psalm 78 and it says forget. So on one hand, it's like remember these things and forget these things. For example, in Psalm 78, chapter or verse 7. 
So each generation should set its hope anew on God. Not forgetting, don't forget this, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Psalm 78, verse 11. They forgot what he had done, the great wonders he had shown them. What kind of wonders? What kind of God is this? Well, he's the God of all creation. He created the galaxies. He created the stars and the moons and all the universes and every race, every person, every fish. And when the people of Israel were enslaved by Egypt, who rescued them? It was God. Who brought them through the Red Sea while while the Egyptian army was chasing to kill them? It was God who loved them and gave them food when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. It was God. Don't forget this. Psalm 78, verse 35. Then they remembered that God was their rock. That God Most High was their Redeemer. Psalm 78, verse 42. They did not remember His power and how He rescued them from their enemies. This is so like us. We're so prone to wander and forget, aren't we? We forget the goodness of God. We might not even recognize the goodness of God. And if you're listening and you're not a believer and you don't know Him, you must ask yourself, why are you here? Who or what made you and for what purpose? God gives you life. He gives you purpose. You were made for Him. And He's saying, remember that. But we tend to forget. We want to go our own ways. We have our own dreams. And we forget God. We neglect God. And throughout this whole chapter, in chapter 78, there's just sin and unbelief throughout, throughout the whole thing. In each new major section, there's four sections in this psalm. It begins with, they sinned and they rebelled. So when you read the psalm, it's like a new chapter heading. Verse 17, verse 32, verse 40, verse 56. They sinned, they rebelled, they sinned, they rebelled. And this is the habit of God's people. They forget and they rebel. This is the habit of us. We forget His goodness and we rebel and we go our own ways. That's how our book is written. But, the final section of Psalm 78, God is presenting a gift. He's doing something amazing in verses 65 to 72. It's the gift of a man named David, who we'll learn about in a second. And this gift is God's expression of His patience and endurance towards a people that is forgetful, rebellious, and sinful. And God is saying, I know who you are and what you are capable of and what you continue to do, but I love you still. And he offers the gift of David. This final section in Psalm 78 
It celebrates how God graciously answers the plight and the problem of this people. They sinned and they rebelled by raising up a king of Israel named David. And I will read verses 65 to 72. Then the Lord rose up as though waking from sleep like a warrior aroused from a drunken drunken stupor. He routed his enemies and sent them to eternal shame. He sent, but he rejected Joseph's descendants. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He chose instead the tribe of Judah and Mount Zion, which he loved. There he built his sanctuary as high as the heavens, as solid and enduring as the earth. He chose his servant, David, calling him from the sheep pens. He took David from tending the ewes and lambs and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. Now, this doesn't sound super amazing to our ears in 2021. But at this time, when the nation of Israel continued to fall and rebel, and they think, if only we had a king, we had a great leader, then we'd be better. If our circumstance changed, then we'd be better. And kings would come and kings would fail. And then God appoints this shepherd king, this shepherd boy to be king of Israel, King David. And they think, yes, our king has finally come. That perfect prime minister, that perfect president, that perfect pastor is now here, King David. But last week, what did we learn? He's a war general, murdered his top commanding officer as he slept with his, the commanding officer's wife, got her pregnant. He was prone to sin and rebellion, forgetfulness, like we are. Yet God sets his promises upon a fallen people. And that should give us great hope. Because there's nothing in us that God would look at us and say, because of his great mind, because of his great talent, because of his artistry, because of who he is, I will love him and choose him. No, God loves you. God loves me because God loves you. That's it. There is no condition to that. And he sets his promise upon David and he appoints this king. He appoints this shepherd king. The significance of this cannot be overstated. As the Psalms, like the rest of the Old Testament, is teaching us how we should live before God and how we are to treat one another they point forward to a greater hope. David was a great king. He was the greatest king in all the Old Testament, but he was still a failure and had faults. But there's this anticipation of this greater shepherd king. There was a greater anticipation of a Messiah, Savior king who would come and save the the people of Israel from sin, ultimately, not through the sacrifice of animals. The sacrifice 
would be David's heir. Generations later, who now occupies David's throne, and he is known as the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Good good Shepherd was sacrificed for your sin on your behalf. He is the Messiah King. He is the true Shepherd King come to shepherd your soul towards God, towards His glory, to love Him and to love others. Jesus is the long-awaited heir of King David, a direct descendant of King David who would guide His people perfectly. In John chapter 10 in the New Testament, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, as the heir of King David, as the good shepherd, laid down his life for you and for me that our relationship with God could be restored at the cost of the king's life and the cost of his own blood. Despite our rebellion, despite our forgetfulness, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what goes through your mind. But when we examine ourselves, we know just if we examine our own lives, we don't look and judge others and compare ourselves to others. Oh, we're not as bad as them. Oh, I'll never be as good as that. If we just look at our own lives, we have failed God greatly. But while we were still sinners, Christ, the Good Shepherd, died for you. And He's restoring a broken relationship to God. Do you know the Good Shepherd? Do you know Him? Do you listen to Him? Jesus says, I'm the Good Shepherd and my sheep hear my voice. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've forgotten what the Good Shepherd sounds like. That the book we so say we love is so neglected. Do we recognize His voice anymore? He's saying, come back. I know you're forgetful. I know you're rebellious. I am the good shepherd and I will come after you. I will find you. I will pursue you with my loving kindness and bring you back to myself at the cost of my own life. He is the good shepherd. Allah does not offer this. Buddha is dead. There is no other worldview where the Creator God comes alongside you. There's no religion, there is no faith that has these types of fulfilled prophecies like we have in the Good Shepherd. Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Do you know His love for you? Sheep. We are all sheep. We must go home to our shepherd. 
And what do we want to pass on to the next generation? What do we want to pass on to our next generation? Our bank account? Our cars? What is it? We need things that are eternal. We need things that will last. These are not evil, horrible things, but we need to set our minds on heavenly things. So what do we want to pass on to the next generation? I want to close with two implications. Two implications of the things that we should pass on to the next generation. Firstly, pass on stories of what God has done for his people. Pass on stories of what God has done for his people. To pass on stories, you need to be familiar with the story. And this might be the first time you're hearing about stories of the Bible. I invite you to go to connect groups. I invite you to talk to myself or Tony or other Christians in this church so that they could tell you the stories of God. We must know these stories. We must read them. Read your Bible. Get connected with our Thursday evening studies here at church, 7 p.m. each Thursday, going through the whole story of the Bible, that you would know it. And that you would know these stories and we could share them. I get this from verse 3 in this chapter. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We want to be passing on these stories. I want my daughters to know about God more than RRSPs, which are important. But I'm pretty sure there's no bank in heaven. We need to fix our eyes on eternal treasures and not just earthly ones. I want desperately my children to know God and they know God through hearing about his stories and his goodness. When we sit down, when we pray together at night, when we're driving in the van, they need to know about God. They need to know about God. Secondly, what do we pass on to the next generation? Not only do we need to know these stories and share them, we need to share them with our children, how amazing he is. But that's not enough. There's a lot of people in our world who know stories of God. There's many non-Christians who know more about the Bible than we do. It's not enough to just know stories. It brings us to action. It brings us to the second point. Obedience to God. Obedience to God. In Psalm 78, verse 7, talks about obeying his commands now that doesn't sound very profound and it doesn't sound very very nice like obedience like it sounds so legalistic it sounds so harsh but if we love someone if you love someone you do things that show your love for that person, don't you? Whether it's a family member, a spouse, a child. You're obeying these laws of love. You're doing things that honor this person. You're doing these things that show that you cherish this person. 
If we say we love God, if we say we know these stories of God, and it doesn't change the way we live, it doesn't move us to obedience, it might be possible we don't know him. Or it might be possible we're just wandered away and the shepherd right now in this very moment, whether you're listening online or here, he's saying, come back home. Listen to my voice. Remember my stories. And remember my commands. Because that is at the heart of the mission of the church. That is at the heart of the mission of the Christian. It's called the Great Commission. And Jesus' final parting words when he was here on earth before rising to heaven. He says, now go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to what? Obey all that I've commanded, for I will be with you. I will be with you now and forever. Obedience is at the heart of Christianity. And yes, we will fail and we will fall. But the good shepherd, he says to sheep, get up. Get up. Do you obey God's commands? We must pass on stories of God and and obedience. And it is in a loving, trusting relationship and community. And this is what the church is. We gather together as a community, as very different people from very different backgrounds, but we have one Heavenly Father. And I can honestly say to you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are my brother. You are my sister. And it is thicker than blood. The shepherd is speaking to you. And wherever you are in this moment, wherever you're going astray in your life, lean on the good shepherd. Ask him to be your guidance. Maybe you've been carrying a weight, wanting to do things in your own way, and it's not working. Trust in the good shepherd. Open up his word in prayer. Read the Bible with others that we would know his stories and that we would obey his commands. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that we can open up your word. I'm grateful for each person here and, and those listening online. I pray that your message, that your stories would go into our generation and go through the next And that whether we have children or not, we would see the next generation better than ours. That we would lay a foundation for them. That they would know your stories and obey your beautiful word. As we sing to you, Father, would these words be so delightful to our hearts. We would know them to be true. And would we trust in the good shepherd now and forevermore. Amen.